Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Mike Cummings to the Philacrosophy Podcast. Mike played at Cornell, was an All-American, was All-Ivy, played in two national championship games back in the late 80s. Went on to be an All-Pro with the New York Saints in the Indoor League. Played for NIAC and had an amazing career as a Wall Street bond broker. Mike and I have a lot of mutual friends, knew each other back in the day, and I'm really excited to have him on the show here to tell his story. How's it going, Mike? Good, Jamie. Good. Uh, I've been watching you from out in Arizona, and I'm excited to be here. And uh, when I thought about maybe connecting, a little nervous about coming on a platform, but uh, I feel I feel good, and I have a pretty good story to tell. So uh, it's good to be here. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program, now featuring a seven-day free trial period. And here's your host, Jamie Monroe, with more information on how you can get your hands on some of the best lacrosse content out there for free. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. You can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're going to want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Awesome, let's do it. Well, I mean, your Cornell days, you stepped right into like a great group of guys with guys like Paul Schmoller and Timmy Goldstein and your older brother and went to the national championship game. Um, in 1987, if I recall, you guys might have been the number one seed, lost to Hopkins, but man, it was just a great run during those times. Yeah, I came in, we were, we were a six and six team. I mean, no expectations. Uh, I didn't even know if I would make the team. I mean, I really, there was a, my uh, recruitment class alone, Vince Angotti, John Heil, Tony Morgan, uh, a lot of good guys, Billy O'Hanlon, but you know, no idea. We were, we thought we were destined for the B team and we were going to watch. And uh, all of a sudden we were uh, scrimmaging Syracuse in March and Timmy Goldstein was doing his thing because hidden on the practice squad earlier the year before couldn't play because of transfer. Schmolz was Schmolz. I mean, our defense seemed like they were 35 years old. I mean, to an 18 year old kid, Steve Paletta, I, you know, Mr. Vivian, Mr. Jones, Mr. Francis, those guys, seem like they seem like they were 40 years old to me. And 
they they were incredible. So uh, next thing you knew, we were eight and zero, nine and zero, ten and zero, eleven and zero, and I think some have gotten hurt for me to be able to step in. And I had this high school that I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I certainly couldn't pass with it because I faced off with it, but I could shoot with it. And whatever my release plane was, it was coming in right under the bar. And I didn't know which side it would go to. I would just close my eyes and shoot. <laughs> so hey, if you know the goalie doesn't know. So all of a sudden, I was on man up as a freshman. My brother, you know, getting the ability to play with my brother, who was right next to me on the wing on man up. So that whole year was, was just a dream come true. A year earlier, I was in high school playing for Holy Trinity. And next thing I know, I'm at Rutgers playing against Hopkins in the finals. And uh, I still, actually, and two years earlier than that, Quinn Keston said no place to sleep. Uh, the, the high school all-star game, he had nowhere to stay, so he stayed in my room in the Holiday Inn of Baltimore in my bed. <laughs> now I got to look at him for 40 years, and I get reminded of an 11-10 loss. So That's pretty funny, funny how life goes. It is. Well, I remember you guys um, being undefeated and coming into Providence when I was a sophomore. And uh, I had Mr. Jones covering me that day. It was a close game. It was six to five. Um, and, uh, you know, when we, we were we were a decent team. We went to the NCAA tournament that year, too. But you guys were you guys were excellent. I remember nine five. I want to know the score of that game. Uh, maybe it was nine five. Maybe it was six five my senior year we lost. I can't remember. You're right. You're probably right. Nine five. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Super close game. And super go back and look. But, um, all right, well, and then in 1988, you guys go back to the to the championship. But at this point in time, the gates are in the the gates are like in full blown best ever mode. And uh, as much as you guys were really good, and Timmy was great, and Schmoly was great, and you guys had players. I mean, those guys like it was kind of over for the next three. Well, years. weird year, weird year because we come out and we have everybody back offense wise. We lost our AARP defense, but guys. Stepped in, Maddie Gleason, uh, Mike DeStefanos. I mean, it's not like we didn't have talent. We had a lot of talent, but the offense was supposed to carry us. And all of a sudden, we're, we lose like four or five one-goal games. Double overtime to Mike Babcock and Yale. Yeah. Um, Sal uh Who else? Be it? it was five. It was like, we were two and five. We were like, what is going on? We, we were done, we thought. So then, I guess beating you guys at the end yeah. of the year, that was like a 7-6 game, 8-7 maybe? No, I think it was like 13-12. Oh, okay. okay. And it was overtime, wasn't it? Every it was year was a game game sure. it was a pretty high-scoring game because I remember it was a beautiful day up in Ithaca. Um, okay. But bottom line is we got in last seed. Last, we, you know, 6-5 and five we were. Last seed, and we had to go to UMass and play Sal. And that was a great game. So we didn't – getting in was awesome, but we knew if we got in, we could do some damage. Yeah. And then North Carolina, 6-4. It was like 95 degrees. Oh, that's right. That's where Smoley set the record, right? He had 32 saves. Richie had us go out in heavy gray sweatpants to practice. It was 95 and humid in Chapel Hill. They had never lost on Fetzer Field in a playoff game. And we go out there, and uh, Paul had 30 – Odd saves. It's crazy. It's crazy. 32 saves or something like that in a 6-4 win. Right. That's epic. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Right. And I think that doesn't get mentioned a lot. The Syracuse game has got some uh, press this year. 
because we had footage of that game. We had, we had, uh, that game was televised and Mike DiStefano made a great video and they basically played the highlights of the hall of fame, which were amazing. But the, the North Carolina game was, was unbelievable. Yeah. So, that, I remember that was one of those Carolina. games, by the way, that I cost Timmy like three assists. <laughs> he hit me back door. The one thing I was pretty good at it was, was cutting when a yeah. guy turned his head, a basic skill. Yeah. And he would hit me. I'd be wide open. I would just, I had no skills to fake. I was just a hit, hit the goalie in the chest guy. <laughs> yeah. You're an athlete that could just rip it, face it off, but you hadn't played enough box yet to know all your finishing skills. But um, talk a little bit about Tibby Goldstein. I mean, he's like a guy that people don't, people don't really know this day and age that he's one of the all time, all time greats. I mean, there was just, he was unguardable. He was player of the year. He seemed to score as much, even though he was kind of a feeder, he definitely scored a ton of goals. I mean, how did he do it? Well, well I don't think the number one thing that people don't know about Timmy is how competitive he is and how, you know, in charge he is on the field. So he, he wants to win. He has a plan. He's super smart. He, he's like the quarterback that knows where everybody should line up at all times. And if you're not in the right spot, he'll tell you. I mean, poor Steve Meyer is probably still in, in therapy. <laughs> I know where he is. <laughs> That's right. It was Wolfsburger, Myers, and Goldstein, right? Yeah, but Timmy and I had a bond over food early. So I, like, got into his little – I got into his good side because, you know, Schmoles was teaching me how to cook. And yeah. Timmy's house was the food house. I mean, there was, like, a five-star hotel restaurant over there with the hotel guys. Yeah. And – uh so I, Timmy welcomed me into the nest and he, he kind of saw that I could shoot. So he would teach me the pockets of, you know, the defense is collapsing, the defense is leaning, you're going to be able to get a shot off here. And, you know, eventually he's like, hey, maybe, maybe hitch a little, step over. I mean, Timmy was instrumental in my growth. Wow. And even today he calls me, roots for me, encourages me. So let's talk a little bit. Of, we got we to talk a little bit about the – the late, great Paul Schmoller, though. I mean, I know you brought him up in that incredible performance. Um, Schmoller and I became good friends after college because we were both coaching. He was coaching at Cornell. I was coaching at Yale. We did a lot of road trips, talked a lot of lacrosse. Actually, me, Schmoller, and Meyer were in the uh, North-South game together um, in uh, 1989. That's really where I first got to meet him. But uh, tell us a couple of uh, stories that sort of uh, embody. Well, I know Paul from high school. So we, we played against each other in high school. Oh, okay. And not, not a lot of people know that he was the all-Catholic league. And by the way, there's more teams in the Catholic league than just St. Anthony's and Chaminade. Because yeah. today, that's all you ever hear about. But back in the 80s, I mean, Petramala was from there. Same uh, I, could, I could just rattle off names. So. Yeah. Back in the day. So Schmoles was an attackman. And, like, he was one of those guys that could fake, 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 fake score. And then he'd go back into goalie, and depending on what the needs but. I mean, it, he was a uh, stand-on-his-head goalie in high school. Uh, I had friends that had, were friends with him, so I was around him. And, um, you know, knew early on he was a different bird. You know? Yeah, well, you know, he's a goalie. I was just going to say that. Like, if you're a goalie, we, we know that. But <laughs> when I got to uh, Cornell, I took his number. So he was number six freshman year. And then he, he – he, he, uh, sophomore year is – Excuse me. He grabbed 40. I grabbed six. But again, because I was a Catholic League guy, because I was down at Goldstein's house, Paul was just nothing more um, 
never less than super friendly to me at all times. I don't think he ever yelled at me unless I would crank on him from four feet away. And he'd <laughs> what do you do, Mike? And a couple of times I hit him in the shin, hit him in the arm. And he was, uh, I mean, he was up for a challenge, but he's like, you know, only, that was the only confrontations we had. Or I let a guy in too close. I was not a defensive uh, stalwart, so a couple of times I get yelled at for that. But Schmoles yeah. was, uh, always had a smile on his face. Everything that everybody says about him is true. Just a kind soul. Yeah. But again, one of those uh, competitive machines. Like Between him and Timmy on both ends of the field, yeah. locked in is what I would say. And again, quarterback. You know, if you're not in the right spot, he wasn't just doing the typical uh, back right, back right. I mean, he right. was dialed in. You're like, Cummings, get out on him. Oh, yeah. I let up the first goal in the Virginia semifinal game. Like, I just went for a stick fake, and the guy went right by me, went in and scored. We're down one nothing. And Richie Moran took me by the helmet, like. Uh, by the bars? Yeah, like, what's the coach at Ohio? Like, Woody Hay he Woody hazed me. <laughs> and I don't want to tell you what he said, but luckily we went on to a uh, 19 to six victory over Virginia that day. So huge. And speaking of Richie Moran, one of the greatest coaches of all time, give us a couple of, what was it like playing for coach Moran? Oh my goodness. Only the players that had played for him know the white froth that he could produce from the mouth area, yeah. which is unbelievable. Um, but that was just a funny joke, but Richie was incredible. I still talk to him to this day. I call him up and, uh, he's still, he's like, how's your uncle George? You know, I hasn't seen my uncle George in 37 years. And the guy's name recognition is still, and that's Richie. He's just all about relationships. And he was, uh, he was a blue collar guy and he treated us blue collar and he respected us and he made us work our asses off. And he also made us literally walk and smell the roses when we were going to down to the final four, he took us through the rose garden, taught us a lesson in life to, uh, Hey boys, you know, recognize this moment, take it in. You know, this doesn't happen every day. And that's certainly been true in life that that does not happen every day. So, yeah. So then you graduate, go on to a career as a bond broker in New York. How did you get into that? And then tell us a little bit about, you know, what you did with lacrosse along the way and, and, and sort of the path you went down. Yeah, I mean, the bond thing didn't happen right away. Early 90s, a little bit of a big housing recession. Wall Street was, on, you know, a little unstable when I graduated. So it took me two years to go down there. But because of Cornell, because of the relationships, there was a lot of guys that, migrated down to that corporate bond world. And uh, part of my story is I was a bit of a follower. And so my brother was down there, I had friends down there, and I got my foot in down there with Prudential Securities. Everybody was from Georgetown, uh, Ralph Sam, Ralph, Ralph Dalton, Patrick Ewing, sidekick, worked there. Uh, Jack Donahue ran the show down there, and his son, Jackie Donahue, was a big St. Mary's guy. Teammate or smaller. Everybody knew somebody. You had to know somebody to yeah. get feet in the door. So I got my foot in the door down there. And that was 92. And I was in that industry uh, for 23 more years. So I started to be a bond broker and 
just for uh, conversation's sake, bond broker, that's not, we were a middleman between the traders. We basically uh, have a team of guys around. Everybody spoke to a trader. We would uh, buy and sell for the Morgan Stanleys, the UBSs. But more importantly, we would entertain the hell out of those guys on Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. And they were our teammates in college. Those were, some guys had brothers that were traders. It was very relational. Mm -hmm. So So you get to know these guys, you go out, have a great time, and then do business together. Right. And they were, these were the early 90s. There was, they were long nights. They were fun times. And when you're 25 years old, that stuff's very appealing. Uh, Limousines, Madison Square Garden, steakhouses women uh dancing you know it's that's just the way it was you know so yeah and you you played um indoor tell us a little bit about your experiences with the new york saints yeah indoor that's where i met your boy tommy towers for the first time i actually my first job out of college was xerox and i walk in the door and there's tom towers and two weeks later we're trying out for the saints and we're, we're, again that's another team i was just i thought i I didn't know I would even make the team. I wasn't drafted. And uh, that game, the, the names that were on that, t- that team, Vinny Sombrata, John Driscoll, Matt Crowley, uh, Sal Acacia, the Cooks. I mean, who's who of Long Island? On that team? What's that? Jeff Goldberg? Jeff had just left. So my experience with Jeff was riding my bicycle through Levittown when I was 12 years old, being scared to death, and running into guys like Jeff and his friends. <laughs> Levittown was like the book, The Outsiders. It was very, very blue collar. Never very, knew it was going to be around each corner. It was edgy. It was edgy. Yeah. That's good. So, still in touch with Jeff, by the way. He's awesome. Damn, I'm so. going to see Mother Whack uh, next week down in Delray. Yeah. So the Saints was, uh, the Saints is where kind of my lacrosse career popped. Like, you know, college was good. Um, I scored some goals, but I wasn't a go-to guy. I wasn't a carry the ball guy ever. I would get stripped every time. I just hung it. I could, I could catch and shoot. I could catch and hitch and shoot. But indoor changed my game. Like, I, I you know, was playing with Pat McCabe all of a sudden. Who I have to say Pat McCabe is probably one of my favorite all-time teammates. Toughest yeah. kid, talented, even when he had the short stick. Pat gave me a nice scar in my left in practice. Nice. Tough, tough kid. Cool cross check. Another, another, like, just to give you the idea of the talent we played with. We were the American team. We were, we had, we were 100% New York American, pretty much. But indoor, like, elevated my game. It was, I'm a football player by nature, and I'm a hitter. So that game was really good for me. And all of a sudden, I was able to start scoring from in close a little bit, learning the box game. And my shot worked in indoor. Like, Dallas Elliott hates me. He's a great goalie, but I could score on him from outside. He still – he pings me on Instagram and, like, says nasty things to me still. <laughs> he doesn't like getting hit in the helmet either. <laughs> I, oh, don't bring that up. Subject on, uh, I've hit a, Todd Francis has a bad story. A rainy UPenn morning pregame, I always had to take a shot up until the opening faceoff. 
Yeah. I actually have two really funny stories. One is I hit Todd in the ear. He was 10 yards to the right of the goal. <laughs> right, right as the national anthem was about to start. Knocked him out of the game. Like, unfor- I mean, unfortunately, it's not funny, but this one's a little more funny. National championship, 87. The uh, national anthem has begun. And I took a shot, hit the crossbar, came all the way out to midfield, and hit Timmy McDevitt in the groin area. <laughs> Richie had to bring the whole team around in a circle. Timmy's knocked out, like in pain, like out of the blue sniper job in his balls. <laughs> During the national anthem of the national championship game? Timmy doesn't return my calls these days. I, maybe that's because of it. The Philosophy Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash video right now. Uh, awesome, man. Well, as the career began to... Uh... Uh, take off and so did the parties and the fun and um, tell us a little bit about how it all, all evolved yeah so the the box across thing I mean I fit right in and I wound up making second team all pro as a rookie and was playing all year round and made first team all club at NIAC I mean I, I was on top of my game I came very close to making the USA team uh, Kevin Finneran and I were extremely close to making it, and they had a uh, Skip Lifkus was the midfielder coach, and the roster was heavy Maryland midfielder that year, and we, we didn't make it. And that was pretty much where I went into a 20-pound 20, 20 weight gain, and I was doing things. I, was, I put on my bio, lifetime bad decision maker. <laughs> so I, I was making bad decisions. I had been making bad decisions all along, but because lacrosse was so big in my life and sports was so big in my life, I didn't have any real uh, life-altering things happen to me. But well, the reason why we're talking today is because I started, uh, well, in the past year, okay, I mean, I'd love to tell you that I'm Tony Robbins and I have a speaking company, and uh, but that's not true. So I've, I've spoken to four teams, and last fall it was uh, Maryland, John Tillman was my teammate at Cornell. Went to Penn State. Jeff Tambroni is a super guy. Uh, I told him what I was doing. He said, absolutely, come out. John Donowski was, said, come by practice. And he let me talk to the team for 25 minutes. And then Seth Tierney had me come by at Hofstra. And all, of, all three of those went great. The Hofstra one, I bombed. <laughs> I was too far away from the kids. I was nervous. Seth was like... Uh, don't worry about it, Mike. You know, it was horrible. But three of the experiences were really positive. And my whole message was about, I was going to tell the story about, hey, listen, you, all you hear about in lacrosse is the brotherhood and the connections and how great it is and you should do this. But within that canvas of that painting is, you know, people like me that, you look good on paper, you're a good player, you have a girlfriend, you have friends. But I had huge self-esteem problems growing up. 
you know, we all, we all grow up zero to 10. We have different environments. We have a father, a mother issue, a brother issue, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. But for me, I had a, I had an older brother that was, was perfect, you know, like high school American, first team All-American Cornell, Wall Street guy. Like I was always following that and that was great. I mean, it could have followed worse things, but along the way, I didn't have my identity. You know, bottom line, when I was 11 years old, I was hanging out with my brother all the time. We were playing sports every day. We were playing sports with his guys. They're, everybody's older than me. So we're playing sports. I'm getting accepted because I'm just as good as my brother, you know, at that age frame. And it was great. But then, you know, when sports ended, I wanted the older people to like me. I, want, I always had older friends. I was always... I. I assume the role is risk taker, funny guy, you know, I'll bet the pot in the stupid poker game we were playing, even though I had no money. So that, that early activity set me up. And I, as I went on in high school, hanging out with older guys, you know, I was an all Long Island linebacker, but I was out all night with a 20 year old guy who you know, in, introduced me to cocaine and dropped me off at Holy Trinity at 6 a.m. Some, you know, so that wasn't a very good message for me to, A, I made a horrible decision, B, I put my life at risk, C, I had success that day against Cardinal Spellman. I had X number of tackles, 100 yards rushing, I won player of the week. So okay, bad decision, but now I, you know, I'm gonna make myself feel like I'm impervious yeah. and nothing can stop me. So again, just little snippets, New Year's Eve, you know, in the car with three friends, I would try cocaine. Again, we grew up in Levittown. This was, this was a very blue collar place. Didn't see a lot of drugs, but it's my experience. On to college, you know, there's drugs in college, you know, news flash. Um, again, I played lacrosse, I was busy all the time, but I tried it. When I got to, when I got to high, uh, Wall Street, Again, I had this thing where I wanted people to like me. I wanted to be accepted. People, people did like me. They, they thought I was a good athlete. The guy that hired me wanted me to sit right next to him. He wanted me to coach his kids. Everything was great. But he also wanted me to pick up his cocaine, you know? And I was like, cool, fine. I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And again, I went on. I was playing pro lacrosse and making bad decisions. and. No big deal. I'm playing lacrosse year round. I'm having success. I mean, there's 12 people in the world that make all pro and indoor lacrosse, and I was one of them. I mean, you know, Matt Crowley was supposed to play man up, and instead I was playing man up in the middle, three, three uh, in indoor. Things, I wasn't having consequences. But then all of a sudden, I put the 20 pounds on, lacrosse went away. I wasn't, people weren't telling me, hey, you're really good. I wasn't hearing the adulation. So I was really all along, I was uh, propped up by people that um, thought I was good. So enter, enter more drug use, enter gambling. That Wall Street world, everybody was betting on football. 90% of the people were very responsible people. Even if they bet on a football game or were going out, they would go home and they would save their money and do, do the, the right thing. But I, I was out of control. When I was making 60 grand, I had no money. When I was making 300 grand, I had no money. When I was making $800,000, I had no money. I had serious problems. Um, Crazy. That's, a, that's a 800 grand, it's a pretty good salary. 
at like 28 or whatever. Yeah, I was 32 years old. I made $1.2 million. 33 years old, $1.2 million. And I had no, 9-11 had happened and lost a lot of friends. You know, I just, I was, I was, uh, I was coming home on a Thursday night to an apartment in New York City and um, I could not stop doing drugs. So I got caught by a girlfriend and I thought that I, lo I, thought that I loved this girl and uh, I was living a completely split life. So I don't want to get into too much of the, you know, I could go on all day about those stories. That's not the point. Yeah. The point is I had serious problems uh, in high school. My self-esteem suffered um, in college. My self-esteem suffered at Cornell. I didn't feel like I could fit in. I couldn't, uh, there was a lot of money at Cornell and there was a lot of great academics and I didn't feel like I had any of those things. I felt less than, um, not that I was jealous. I just felt like I didn't fit in and I was not a good studier. I had good grades all my whole life. It came easy to me, but when things didn't come easy to me, I didn't raise my hand and ask for help and get and study. I would, I would cheat. I would, you know, another bad decision, something with somebody with bad self-esteem does a list of things, cheat, try drugs, drag your team down, be too dependent. Um, a guy with self-esteem is a leader, uh, shows, not tell, like uh, excellent teammate, uh, studies harder, gets help, asks for help. There's such a line and I've just from flying around, talking to these teams. Um, so I don't know where I left off with that, but a year ago, I went to Maryland, Duke, Penn State, and Hofstra. And on the plane, I figured out that self-esteem is the issue. Period, the end. Because if I had had it, I would have never made decision A, B, and C, which led to a lifetime of bad decisions. What is your definition of self-esteem? Self-esteem is liking the person in the mirror. And the only way to get self-esteem, you can't be given it. Self-esteem, you have to do esteemable acts. You have to do what? In order to have self-esteem, you have to do esteemable acts. You have to do good things for people. In the world of recovery, they tell you to get out of your own head. They tell you do something for someone else because it's a, you know, we, we feel sorry for ourselves. Oh my God, we've ruined our lives. It's never going to be the same. I'm never going to have the money again. No one's going to like me. It's all a big lie we tell ourselves. Anybody can stop doing bad things, put the brakes on, ask for forgiveness from whoever you talk to, and start over. And unfortunately, I had to do that at 43 and 47. And my, my story is a little, involves God. And, you know, I stopped doing drugs 10 years ago. When I got on my knees, I said, God, please take this away from me. You know, today I do go to a great church. They play Creed music and... The pastor wears flip-flops. So I do go to a non-denominational Christian church. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, not part, that's not my story. Um, I'm not telling somebody to never drink a beer. I'm just telling people to watch out. Because in this day and age, we don't have to look very far to someone that makes a bad decision and they die right there and then. I mean, the fentanyl, you know, I don't know any, anything about that, but I know a lot of people are dying from trying to any sort of a drug. So my message is, hey, listen, I was one of you. 
I play this lacrosse video that shows a couple good shots to like, oh, this guy played. Because I don't want to look like Ty Cobb, you know, like with Brady. <laughs> Honus Wagner video. Like, I want to... I want to get into the room and I want to quickly have them know that I'm one of them. And that I came in that started as a freshman in the national championship game that went on to be an all pro and they had made a million dollars a year on wall street. And yet you just didn't have great self-esteem. Yeah. So that's the story. And I basically today, um, I mentioned in my note, I had, Oh, what are the, I just want to see how I put it because I've never used the term before. Dormant confidence. So my, I, there's no question that I've had confidence. I mean, even when I had nervous going on the field, oh my God, they're going to pass me the ball. There's a minute left. It's a national championship game. Yeah. I know that in, in my life I've had confidence. I've been able to take the shot. I've been able to keep shooting. I've been able to stand up for myself. I mean, life's got a lot of bullies and you gotta, you gotta stand up for yourself. But when you have negativity in your life, and I won't even get into the whole part where, you know, due to all of this stuff, I mean, I was, I was suicidal many, many times. And, you know, I'm not gonna cry about that today. Like, it's part of my story. Yep. And I think that I've come at this thing like, a completely different person. I don't have anxiety anymore. My, my hands never get sweaty. I can actually speak in front of people. And this is giving back. I haven't been able to write a check to Cornell in 15 years because I had no more money, which is crazy. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, I said, this isn't writing a check, but, it, and this is totally cliche, but can I help anybody? You know, will this help anybody? I think there's no doubt that somebody could get an impact off of this. I mean, this is authentic and this even gets more blue and more real, but we want to keep this Disney and PG as much as possible, but I don't hold back. When I spoke to Penn state, I mean, I saw Jeff's mouth, Jeff had his mouth open. Yeah. And the kids had their mouths open and I'm not there to shock and tell stupid stories. I just want to, you know, I want Brian O'Keefe's kid, Mac, to never make the mistake I made. Yeah. Because they're, they're doing incredible things, and they could go on to do incredible things. I know Jason, uh, Justin Gutterding since he's 10 years old. I know, uh, I know all these kids that are doing great things. Don't make the mistake that I made. You know, don't go to Wall Street and say, oh, I need this guy to like me. I'm going to be his little puppet. And just so you know, there's no names. Yeah. I've made peace. All of this stuff is nobody's fault but me. I always had free will. I always had a choice. There's plenty of people that were doing what I did that went home at 10 o'clock, that have families, that have kids. And whoever I may have had a problem with, I've long ago made peace. And not only that, as far as being a victim, like I've hurt a lot of people. I mean, I've hurt a lot of relationships, girlfriends, you know, with this double life, you know, it, it comes with a big price. So I don't just sit here and say, oh, everything's better. I'm going off in a, in a better direction. You know, like I, I cost myself, I don't have children. You know, I could have had X number of children with this girl that I truly loved, but I was sick. You know, like 
whether you want to call it insanity or stupid, like I don't think I'm stupid, but some people might say, hey, you, you were stupid. Yeah, I, I made stupid choices. Yeah. And I don't hide from any of it, you know? So this, this is pretty much it. And, you know, a year ago I, start, I did those things and they went great. And I had a little momentum and I reached out and I talked to Michigan and I talked to Dave Petromala, by the way, you never returned my email. We played high school together, so give me a call, Dave. <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to make a business out of this. You know, I didn't char haven't charged anybody. I don't want to charge anybody. Um, I want to help kids. Yeah. So right now I'm living in Cabo, Mexico, yeah. working at a beautiful five-star golf resort. I'm looking at grass and ocean every day, and I sell real estate. And I was uh, – dormant on my passion in the grid of money and fun and passion. I was bottom left as a financial advisor in Phoenix over the phone. Wasn't getting a fill from that. So my thought is, how do I boost this message where I could go around the country, talk to kids about my real story, that the only solution is to bring the shopping cart back and to the, to the shopping carts and make your bed and start there. Because plenty of people have self-esteem issues, but no one's gonna raise their hand and say that they do. Maybe I'll just say, hey, do you know anybody that has self-esteem issues? And then everybody will raise their hand. So um, it just starts with the smallest of giving to somebody and helping someone else. And that's how your self-esteem can grow from zero to something and eventually keep growing and keep watering it. And I will say, I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I lived in Arizona and New York part-time, but I really exiled myself and ran away to Arizona because I was embarrassed and I had shame. And because I was making a million dollars and I was a big shot and uh, loved to show up at Cornell alumni events and be a, you know, look at my Porsche and I'm going to play golf at my club. That's not to say that all my Cornell friends don't have nice things and they're successful, but they're, but they're, they just didn't screw their lives up and uh, they're tremendous people. So I would say the one thing that kept me from really making a bad decision and going into my garage and starting my car was watching old lacrosse games and wanting to be with my brothers again. I might cry now, but I had the hope of being with my brothers again, not just my brother, who was my teammate at Cornell. How cool is that? Very. Um, but there was no, there's, it's like finding moon footage. There's no footage from the eighties on games. It's crazy. I mean, these kids are so lucky that they get to see their friends on TV and instant results. Yeah. Like Cornell literally sent out a type newsletter, like, a month after the games were played. And uh, so the ability to have relationships again today with my teammates, who by the way, are all like rooting for me and uh, have been there for me, but you, I, they can't give me what I need. You know, I need, I need, ex I need daily acceptance, self-acceptance. I get it from God now as well. And I get my self-esteem because I make my bed. I, I'm, I'm a good person. I say thank you and please to people. I'm not a punk. Uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be 52 years old on leap year. I'll be 13 years old. So, uh, <laughs> 13 years old. Well, Mike, um, it's an awesome story and it's, uh, it's a really, it's compelling. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be for a lot of people to really uh, think about themselves and be honest with themselves and know that there's hope and know that, you know, all it is is a matter of starting to do, as you say, uh, esteemable acts. And I think that's an amazing word. And uh, returning the shopping cart to the, to the shopping carts. I mean, you know, instead of just leaving it in a space. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for coming on, Mike. We'll have to do this again. And uh, for anybody that wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, my email is mcummings29 at mac.com. I had a website, but I, I kind of let it go dormant with my confidence. So, <laughs> so if anybody wants to get in touch with me, uh, my phone number is 480-479-2701. And the email is mcummings29 at mac.com. And if any, anybody has a child that's struggling, anybody knows a friend that's struggling, I will answer my phone 24 seven. I will respond to you as soon as I get the email. Uh, I'm here to help. And if there's a, if there's a parent struggling out there, there, this sounds a little cliche, but there is a solution. And I'm not here for any program of recovery. I'm not here for a church, but those are part of my world. And if I could give any uh, assistance, I'm happy to do it. And tell Andy Towers, I love him. And he calls me Cumbo. <laughs> he did not like playing with me at the end because I was a little bit of a ball hog. So, you know, I just want to make reparation with that. Say I'm sorry. You'll feed more now. Sal Acasio and Paul Schmoller are my two favorite goalies of all time. Vinny Sombrato is a favorite player I've ever played with, along with Pat McKee. And uh, I wouldn't, if it wasn't for my brother Bobby, uh, putting grass in my mouth on the lawn, uh, he, I wouldn't be as tough and resilient as I am. And he also taught me to shoot. My brother taught me to shoot. He, he, uh, he gave me a breakthrough at Cornell lacrosse camp. And without that tip, I probably would have never uh, made my high school lacrosse team. So what was the tip? Thanks, Bobby. What was the tip? He just had me carry, he just had me come, come through with my hips and extend my arms and, I mean, I guess I always had good wrists, but whatever he did opened me up and just, it just was never, it never seemed like an effort to shoot. I also want to go public with something as well right now. And this has to do with a fellow Wanta person and Ron Klarman, defenseman. Yeah. He stole the fastest shot contest from me uh, in like 1998. We both came in at 108, and we did a reshoot, and the re the, his reshoot came in at 118, and I'm just calling bullshit on that. And I think <laughs> Ron, I love you, but I think we should have split it at a very minimum that day. But all right, all right I got it off my chest. 108. Damn. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was back in the day with those sticks. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll save some more for some funny stories for next time, but. I love you, James. Good to have connect with you. holiday, Mike, and thanks for coming on and sharing that story, and I uh, can't wait for people to hear it. All right. My pleasure. Take care. All right, brother. Take care.
The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program, now featuring a seven-day free trial period. And here's your host, Jamie Monroe, with more information on how you can get your hands on some of the best lacrosse content out there for free. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. And you can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're going to want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right, enjoy the rest of the podcast.